uh, human understanding, but it's very clearly taught. The Bible teaches only one God. Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and they're three distinct persons. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. There is only one true God, but the one true God exists. Though God is one in being, one what? He is three who's. Three distinct persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why I'll, I'll pray to three, three persons, the one God. I'll pray to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'm not going, you ain't going to catch me praying to anybody else, okay? The Bible tells us don't communicate with the dead. The triune God, then creation by God. Paul taught, you know, Adam and Eve were the first humans. We didn't evolve from subhumans. That's now being taught by uh, many professors who call themselves Bible-believing. By the way, you can believe that God used evolution and still be saved. Um, but you got issues. You know, well, what else are you going to give up on? Okay? And, uh, uh, but the fact of the matter is the guys and gals that I want training the future pastors in the American church, I want them holding to Genesis 1 through 3. Genesis 1 through 11, that's historical. God formed Adam's body from the dust of the ground, breathed life into his nostrils, and he formed Eve from his side. We got leading uh, evangelical apologists like William Lane Craig who no longer believe that, that Adam and Eve evolved from subhuman entities. Um, so creation by God. The Bible teaches that the apostles taught we're sinful and fallen, and we cannot save ourselves, and that salvation is by God's grace alone. You can't earn it. It's a free gift. Salvation is by God's grace alone. We receive it through faith alone, not faith plus works, just faith alone, in Jesus alone. And so Jesus is the only way to be saved. That is not popular. In fact, you'll be called a bigot or intolerant in many places today if you say that Jesus is the only way to be saved. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Okay? Um, you know, there are Christians who want to give up on that and say there's other ways to be saved besides Jesus. Uh, the Bible teaches that we must be born again through the power of the Holy Spirit. By the way, Christians do not do good works to get saved. We do good works because we are saved. Good works are the fruit of salvation, not the root of salvation, okay? So, um, you know, we don't want what these to call sloppy agape, you know, agape love. And uh, look, if, you, if you're trusting Jesus for salvation, James, you're preaching on James, John. James said, look, don't tell me you believe with your words, show me with your works. If you met my big brother Jesus, this is James talking, then he made a difference in your life. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Show me, okay? And, um, and so we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, but once born again through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwells us and begins to work through us and change our lives. Uh, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, supernatural abilities, and equips us for service. And I'm not the kind of uh, pastor that's big on psychology, so I'm not going to give everybody here a 500-question survey 
so that I can put that all together and then tell you what gifts you have, you know? You just obey Jesus. You get in God's word. You be a person of prayer. You fellowship with other Christians. And as you're obedient to the Lord, God starts using you. And as God's using you, you look at your ministry and you can find out what gifts he's given you because he's equipped you for that ministry, okay? And um, so the Holy Spirit gives us gifts and equips us for service. We, we, cannot, we can't be spectators. No spectators in God's kingdom. We've got to be warriors. Now, the elders of Trinity Bible Fellowship, we're here to help equip you for service, okay? And the Lord's going to someday on judgment seat of Christ, he's going to let us know how well or how not so well we did at that. But we're supposed to equip you for service. And I, I praise God. With the, I'm finding out all the time about different ministries that people have uh, within this church. And they don't brag about it much and stuff like that. But, um, you know, psychologists will tell you, if you think you're on a mission from God, you're a nut. The Bible tells you, if you don't think you're on a mission from God, something's terribly wrong. God didn't create you so you could uh, build work towards your own agenda. We got one agenda here. You know what that agenda is called? It's the kingdom of God. We don't build our own kingdoms. We build God's kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit and for God's glory. So the Holy Spirit gifts us and equips us for service. The Bible tells us Jesus is fully God. He's the second person of the Trinity. Yet he's also fully man. He was born to the Virgin Mary. Jesus died on the cross as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. When he died on the cross, he was taking your punishment for you. Okay? See, God is totally just. He is so just, he cannot forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full. I guess in Islam and the present state of Judaism, which rejects Jesus, God is sweeping sin under the rug. A just God cannot forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full. Praise God, Jesus paid the price for your sin, and he paid the price for my sin, so that God can remain just and yet justify the ungodly who turn to him for salvation. Jesus died on the cross as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. He died on the Passover feast. So if you apply the blood of the Lord Jesus, his sacrifice to your life, you get passed over for judgment. Okay? And um, Jesus died on the cross as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. And then he bodily rose from the dead to conquer death for us. Let me tell you, if the tomb was not empty 2,000 years ago, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, in the end, death wins. The God, the Son, became a man, and he conquered our greatest enemy, death, for us. The Bible teaches Jesus will visibly return to earth and rule upon the earth. That's what the early church taught. You got, there are a lot of Christians who don't believe Jesus will literally reign on the earth and um, have some problematic issues. The early church, until Greek philosophy started making inroads from the Alexandrian school of Alexandria, Egypt, 
The early church believed Jesus would literally reign on earth for a thousand years when he returns. I'm going to stand fast and never give up on the apostolic traditions. Okay? And um, um, believers, the uh, apostles taught believers will be bodily raised to immortality. We'll, our, our mortal bodies will put on immortality. Okay? This idea that we're going to live forever and ever as disembodied spirits, that's not biblical. The early church emphasized this so much. The, the bodily resurrection of believers uh, to go throughout eternity will reign on earth with Jesus for a thousand years and then we'll be in the new Jerusalem with Jesus forever and ever with our immortal bodies. Yet the Bible also teaches non-believers will be bodily raised for eternal conscious torment. That's another thing that um, many of our professors uh, teaching at... Um, at seminaries where they train future pastors, they're starting to give up on eternal conscious torment. They're accepting the view of the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Seventh-day Adventists that uh, the annihilation of the wicked, that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, the, the apostles taught us that the universal church, this is a local church, the universal church uh, is comprised of all true followers of Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles. Paul makes it very clear, Gentiles are not second-class Christians in the church. You don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. You just got to trust in Jesus for salvation. Now, because the church is so Gentile, we might have to remind Gentiles that Jews who accept Jesus as Savior are not second-class Christians, okay? We're one in Christ. Yet, the apostles also taught God will fulfill all his promises to the nation of Israel, but that's only to the redeemed of the nation of Israel. So somebody could be a physical Jew, Jewish by nationality. If they're not trusting in Jesus for salvation and they die without trusting in Jesus for salvation, they're not going to enjoy the millennial kingdom reigning with Christ and, and having a piece of the promised land. Uh, but all the true redeemed those really saved of the nation of Israel, the saved Jews, God will fulfill all his promises to them. Jesus will rule the world for a thousand years from Jerusalem. He'll sit on the throne of David, according to a, the Old Testament. Last I heard, the throne of David's not in heaven, it's on earth. And Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David and reign. I think that's going to be the first job for us with our immortal bodies when Jesus comes back is to teach little children who come out of the tribulation, teach them about King Jesus and lead tours uh, to Jerusalem on the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. They'll just read Zechariah chapter 14. And we're going to tell them, see the holes in his hands and his feet. I mean, you probably won't even have to bring it up. The little kids will probably ask you, yeah, King Jesus is really cool, but uh, so actually he's, he's uh, omni-cool. But um, that's one of his attributes there. Uh, but they'll say, Jesus is pretty cool, but what are those, where did he get the holes in his hands and his feet? And we're going to be able to tell this little guy or this little gal, he got that when he died for you. Long before you were even born, he died on the cross. He died for you. He died for me so that we could live. And... Um, um, 
And so God will fulfill all his promises to the, to the redeemed of the nation of Israel. And we've got to pray for Israel. You know, you know what our number one job right with Israel is, according to the scriptures? We're supposed to be making them jealous. And they say, well, how come, how come those Christians are, are doing so well throughout the centuries and this and that and blah, 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 and they're worshiping, worshiping one of our Jewish guys well, he's your Messiah. Get with the program. Trust in King Jesus for salvation and acknowledge that he's the Jewish Messiah who's going to rescue Israel in the last days. And then finally there, uh, we do not compromise biblical morality. Okay? This is how we stand fast and never give up on what we're taught. Now, if you came here, by the way, and you weren't trusting in Jesus for salvation, okay, and you might think, well, the guy behind the pulpit is some short, half Italian, half Portuguese guy. I like to say middle aged, but I'm not planning on living to be 128. Um, New Jersey. Yeah, there you go. Just a Jersey guy or whatever, the Jersey guy that got saved. But he might say, well, who the heck is this guy? Look, don't get past that. It's not me, it's God's word, it's the gospel. The good news. The bad news, we're all sinners. We can't save ourselves. The good news is God the Son became one of us, died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. If we trust in Jesus alone for salvation, we'll be saved. If you came in here today and you weren't trusted in Jesus for salvation, please, just forget about the messenger. Just think about the message. Think about the Lord you don't know if you're going to get another shot. We got, I mean, we got a brother here right now that was in a rollover accident. He didn't even know he'd be here. Okay, you don't know what's coming down. Chuck, now Chuck's a kidney failure and an emergency. Uh, now is the appointed time for salvation. You hear the Holy Spirit's voice. You need, to, you need to acknowledge. Do this right now to yourself. Right now, just say, look, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I cannot save myself. But I'm going to trust in the Lord Jesus as my God and Savior to save me. Um, and then the Holy Spirit will give you the new birth, indwell you, and begin to change you from within. Uh, but you got to come to him on bended knee. And once you come to him, to stand fast and hold to the traditions of the apostles, you got to obey God's word. You don't just believe God's word, but you obey God's word. Not just outwardly. You got to, if you got to fight that battle in the realm of the mind, don't dwell on sinful behavior. It'll actually become behavior. But we live in a culture of sexual immorality, homosexuality, violence, abortion, killing babies before they're born, euthanasia, wanting to you know, mercy kill, supposedly, people who are suffering. You got the LGBTQ plus movement. It says there's more than just two genders. No, in the beginning, God created what? Male and female. Uh, we're being uh, coerced into worshiping the state. We have like a, a neo-Marxist, a newer form of Marxism, of, of communism, where the government wants to control everything and wants you to worship the government. We, you realize the United States government thinks it has the power to shut down the churches. 
Now, you want to give us medical advice, you give us medical advice. But we've been lied to so much, we're going to decide whether or not we're going to accept your advice. The last I heard, God did not institute human government to replace him. And so when the government, you know, we give to Caesar, what is Caesar's? I pay my taxes. I try to obey the laws. But we give to God what is God's. And what Caesar demands, what only belongs to God, we say no. Okay? In the old ancient times, you had to say Caesar is Lord. And uh, no, uh, I'm not going there. When the apostles were ordered by the Jewish ruling council to stop preaching Jesus, they said we must obey God rather than men. Okay? And, uh, and so this worship of the state, it's going to get worse. Right now, uh, our state has been taken over by anti-Christian, anti-Americans. And so the big decision right now is how do we stay in power? How do we eliminate all opposition? Okay? And, um, and I'm telling you, Christians are not well-loved by those who rule us right now. It's, it's a crazy time. Artificial intelligence. Hey, a lot of good can come out of artificial intelligence, but you, if you don't program into it, that human life is sacred, that all men are created equal and given inalienable rights by God of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, if you just program into AI that the number one problem is we got to stop destroy, environmentally destroying the earth and humans are the biggest threat to it, I mean, we're setting, setting ourselves up for disaster here. I mean, the, the ultimate goal is going to be then to exterminate humans. The transhumanism movement. It used to be animal-human hybrids that they want. Now it's, it's human-machine hybrids. And uh, no, God created human beings. We, you know, I, 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 I want to make a comment, but I don't want to get the, uh, another sermon canceled. So if you want to find out what the comment was going to be, talk to me after, after church today. Uh, but this transhumanism thing, it's like, excuse me, um, I'm good. If you got some cure for something that's wrong with me, yeah, I'll, I'll look into it. But I think I'm going to stick with uh, the biological system God's gave me and not replace it with a man-made one, okay? And uh, depopulation. It's, uh, the World Economic Forum, the UN, Bill Gates, uh, they want to depopulate the earth. There's too many people. They want to get rid of a whole bunch of us. Uh, government redistribution of wealth. Not God didn't institute government to steal from somebody and give to somebody else. And in the transaction, the government leaders keep the most, most of it for them. No, it's, this is Isaiah 520. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Uh, the Lord has shown us what is good. Okay? And... Uh, so we not only need to hold to the teachings of the apostles, what the apostles taught us to believe, we also need to apply that to our lives and obey those teachings, okay? And so if you remember nothing else from this message today, remember, stand fast and hold to the traditions you were taught. In other words, stand fast and hold to the apostles' teachings. 
Acts 2.42, that was central to the early church gathering, was the teachings of the apostles, okay? And that's what you have. Teachings of the apostles, that's the New Testament. And by the way, as they're telling us in the New Testament what to believe, they're also telling us the Old Testament is God's word. So it's in the entire Bible. So days are going to come. You're going to have to choose. They're going to tell you, worship the state and the wisdom of man. Another word for that is fake news. Not this. Not the collection of 66 books that we call the Bible. And we got to stand on the teachings of the apostles. We got to stand on the word of God. We got to stand fast and hold to the traditions. And because the Thessalonians were suffering, and, you know, Paul's making it clear, look, you, there's gonna, the church is going to fall away. The Antichrist is going to be revealed before the church is not. It's going to get hot in the kitchen. Um, that same message for us, stand fast, okay, and um, hold on to the traditions taught by the apostles. Now we come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And, you know, Paul is telling us, stand firm in the teachings of the apostles. He's telling the Thessalonians that despite their persecutions. And then in verses 1 and 2, he tells them to pray for the spread of the gospel. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us. That's Paul, Timothy, and Silas, Paul and his team. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of God may run swiftly and be glorified, be exalted. The gospel would grow just as it is with you. So the gospel spread with the Thessalonians, even though there was persecution. There were people battering and beating them. And Paul, Timothy, and Silas had to flee. And the Thessalonians were continued to be persecuted by the, the Jews of that day of their community that refused to uh, accept the gospel. And... Um, um, but the gospel had spread quickly there. And so he says, pray for the spread of the gospel. You know, it's 2,000 years later, and we're still supposed to be praying that the gospel would spread swiftly or spread quickly, okay? And by the way, you know, there's so much bad news going on in the world, yet the gospel is probably spreading quicker now at a faster pace right now than any other time in the history of the church, including the book of Acts. It just, we keep looking at America and Europe, Western civilization, that's where Christianity is in decline. But in Asian countries, in Middle Eastern countries, in Central and South American countries, in African nations, the gospel is spreading. I mean, right now, I, I mean, there's so much lying that's going on. Uh, it is more like, if you live on the African continent, you're more likely to be a Bible-believing Christian than if you live in the United States of America. So this not, America is not even a post-Christian culture anymore. It's an anti-Christian culture, okay? And, um, um, but whatever the case, we need to pray that the gospel would spread. Remember Matthew 28, 19 and 20, 
Jesus gave us our marching orders. He said, go. Don't be lazy. Got a lot of lazy people in Thessalonica. They were quitting their work. No, he said, go. Make disciples of all nations. That doesn't mean make baby believers. You lead people to Christ, but then you disciple them to grow in the Lord. Okay? You are mature followers of Christ, spiritually mature followers of Christ. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer and you're not baptized, you need to get baptized. We'll baptize you right over there. You got to make sure the water's warm, though, for Pastor Phil. And uh, um, But go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all that I commanded you. That's what we're doing here, okay? Um, the shoe boxes going out to so many different nations and all. You realize we, um, we reach over 100 countries through Sermon Audio each year, okay? All 50 states and over 100 countries. Now, granted, some of the countries, you know, there might be only be a dozen people who listen and this and that, but that's the mission of the church, and, uh, and sometimes we just push it aside. Uh, Paul's saying that we should pray that the gospel would spread quickly. He wants the mission accomplished. By the way, you know, that's verse 1. Verse 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2, and that we may be delivered, Paul and his team, from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. So he's saying we should pray that the gospel spread quickly, and that those who preach the gospel should be delivered from wicked men. This is the, the, the Marine Corps leadership. They taught us the two most important things. Number one, the accomplishment of the mission. For us Christians, that's the preaching of the gospel to all nations. But number two is the welfare of the troops. Okay? I mean, you can go out with a bang like Samson. Uh, you know, there's some people that in their death, they end up, proclaiming Jesus and leading more people to Christ in their death than they did in their entire life, okay? At the same time, once you're dead, you can't preach anymore on planet Earth. And so we got to pray. You know, when's the last time? We do it all the time with my students at Crosspoint, but when's the last time you prayed, you prayed that the gospel would be preached to all nations and that God would comfort the persecuted Christians are being persecuted throughout the world. And I pray for that every day. And you might say, wow, you're a spiritual giant, Pastor Phil. No, I'm not. It was because of, we started in the book of Thessalonians, I realized, oops, there's something I'm supposed to be doing I haven't been, haven't been doing. So it only took me 42 years to get the memo on that. Okay? So not exactly a spiritual giant there. Um, but the fact of the matter is we need to be praying that the gospel would spread quickly to all nations and um, that God would protect uh, his church throughout the world and comfort the persecuted church. Whenever the people from the persecuted church, because they used to smuggle some of our, our sermons and stuff into the Middle East and into um, Africa and... Uh, They'd always ask me to pray for them, but they would tell me, knowing that I'm a spoiled, rotten American who doesn't even know one one thousandth of the persecution they're going through, 
And they constantly remind me, pray for us, but don't pray that God takes away our suffering and persecution. Pray that God comforts us in the midst of it. Because they knew that there's great reward, Sermon on the Mount, for suffering. And um, I've been around. I've been around some godly men who could, they don't even boast, but could take their shirts off and show you how they suffered for Christ. And, uh, but, um, and so we pray for the accomplishment of the mission, the gospel preached to all nations, and that those who preach the gospel be delivered from wicked men. We pray for the welfare of the troops as well, okay? Uh, verses 3 to 5, Paul says the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Verse 3, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. The Lord is faithful. You know, I mean, I can't tell you, I will never tell you I know what you're going through if I didn't go through it. And I think I've lived a life, I think, with very minimal amount of suffering. You know, my mom died in 2000, my dad died in 2009. So technically, I didn't become an orphan until I was 49 years old, okay? I've known students who lost their dad when they were like 5, 6, 10, 12 years old. I can't tell them I know what you're going through. I had my dad till I was almost 50. Um, some of you are going through horrible pain that I've never experienced. Uh, I've preached, comes with a term. You don't get to pick what to do when you're a preacher. You, you, you do what God calls you to do. And so I've had to preach a few memorial services for little babies. And I will never look at a couple who lost a little baby in infancy and say, I know what you, you're going through. I don't. And so you think, well, what good are you then, Pastor. You can't tell people, I know what you've gone through. Yeah, I can't do that. Well, what good are you? Well, I can tell them this. He is faithful. I can't tell you I've experienced all your pain and all your hurts. I can't even tell you I can solve that problem, those problems. Most of the time I can't. I can tell you our God is good. I can tell you our God is loving. And I can tell you that our God is faithful. This is what it means that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No matter how difficult the times are, you can get through. Why? Because you're so smart? No. Because your pastor's so smart? No. Because the government is so good and love, really loves you? No. You can all do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Peter, Paul, and John. Your God, my God. He is good and he is faithful. And so when things get... Even hotter in the kitchen, when things get bad and Christians start losing their jobs and we don't even know where our next meal's coming from, you remember 
the Lord is faithful. And we're told here the Lord is faithful. He'll establish you and guard you from the evil one. Look at John 17, 15. John 17 and verse 15. This is the prayer Jesus prayed on the night that he was betrayed. John 17, verse 15. Jesus said this about believers. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So many times. You know, it's like I, I say this over and over again. The difference between Christians and non-Christians is not that non-Christians suffer and we don't. No, we suffer just like non-Christians suffer. Sometimes we suffer worse than non-Christians. The difference is when they suffer, they suffer alone. When we suffer, we suffer with the King Jesus, the King Jesus there. And uh, God doesn't say, look, I'm going to take, take them out of the world. No, but protect them from the evil one. Even when you get to uh, the Sermon on the Mount, when God gave us the pattern for prayer, what we call the Our Father, uh, Matthew 6, verse 13 uh, Jesus told us that we should pray and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay? And that's what Paul's praying um, right here. He's saying, you know, the Lord is faithful. He will guard true believers from the evil one. And if Thessalonians could say, yeah, but, but Jesus, they're beating me up. People are, the non-believers are beating me up. I can't find work and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and he's saying, yeah, but God will guard you from the evil one, okay? Because he is faithful. Uh, verse four, now we're back in 2 Thessalonians chapter three and verse four. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. What if God sent Paul from heaven, you know, and that kind of stuff? Doesn't usually happen, although Moses and Elijah did visit the apostles with, with King Jesus. But, but what if God sent Paul from heaven to speak to us? Would Paul say that about Trinity Bible Fellowship? Yeah, we really have confidence in the Lord concerning you guys and gals that you, you're doing and you will continue to do what God commands you. I don't know, myself included. I want to be true to King Jesus, and I want to obey King Jesus, but it's a moment-by-moment, day-by-day thing, okay? You might, you might have had a great day serving King Jesus yesterday. Maybe you led a few friends to the Lord. Maybe you just spoke a little truth, planted a little seed. Maybe you helped out an elderly person um, who needed work on their car or whatever. You might have had a good day yesterday, but our God is the God of, of the now. Okay? Yesterday's victories are today's mediocrity. You know, we got to continue day by day 
moment by moment, day by day, and serve King Jesus. Uh, Paul could say to Thessalonians that he had confidence in their obedience, not only their current obedience to the Lord, but their obedience in the Lord for days to come. Okay? And let me tell you, if you come to Trinity Bible Fellowship, you know, we got the cake. Okay, we're not one of these. Now, I'm not saying all big churches are bad. There's some big churches that are really good. A lot of them got to be big churches by telling people what they want to hear. Okay? But you get the cake here. There's not a whole lot of icing. Granted, after 34 years, we finally got a building. Um, at the same time, you know, we might have to clean up somebody else's mess before we get into the building. Okay? We don't have a lot to offer you, but what we do have to offer you is God's word, and God's love. And so when I look at our congregation, okay, I'm looking at people that, you know, why are you here? There's more beautiful church buildings. There's bigger churches. They have a program for just about anything you could possibly want. Some of them have their own little coffee shop right there. And sure, I'm not even saying these things are bad things. Why are you at Trinity Bible Fellowship? I get the impression you're at Trinity Bible Fellowship because you love the Lord. You love the Lord's word. And you love the Lord's people. Because beyond that, we don't have much to offer. We try hard, but we don't have much to offer except God's word, God's people. And, um, and the Lord himself. So, uh, uh, so I'm hoping and praying that if Paul did show up, if God sent him, he'd say, you know what, Trinity Bible Fellowship, I got confidence that you're obeying the Lord right now and you'll continue to obey him in the future. Okay? Now, keep, keep in mind, though, we ought to have confidence and spiritual victories for ourselves and our church. But keep Philippians 3.3 in the back of your mind. That we're of the true circumcision. We're born again. True circumcision is of the heart. Philippians 3.3. We're of the true circumcision. We worship God in spirit. And we put what? No confidence in the flesh. Okay? So when Paul is telling the Thessalonians, that they have confidence in the Lord concerning them that they're going to be obedient to the Lord for years to come, okay? He's not saying he has confidence in the, in the Thessalonians' flesh. Put no confidence in the flesh. We, look, brothers and sisters, hear me out. Today, I mean, you might be thinking today, man, you know, Sunday's a day of rest for me. After church, man, I go home. Uh, I get a bottle of Coke or whatever, and I sit down, eat some pretzels, and watch football. I mean, there's, there's not a whole lot of spiritual that's going to be going on today. I don't know. I don't know what you do on Sunday, but there's some type of spiritual victory God wants you to have today and tomorrow and throughout the week, Okay. But let's say you get that major spiritual victory today through the power of God and for his glory. 
Satan wants to Satan wants to prevent you from getting that victory today. Satan wants to do everything in his power to prevent you from being victorious spiritually today. If you submit your life to the Lord and you are all that God called you to be today, you will get those spiritual victories, which may not look big to the world, but eternal value through God's eyes. If Satan fails to stop you and God protects you, he's faithful, protects you from the evil one, and you have that spiritual victory, then Satan will switch to plan B. And plan B would be, now he wants to give you confidence in the flesh. Oh, you should have seen what I did yesterday. As if it wasn't the Holy Spirit working through you. Okay? And uh, so uh, Paul is confident that the Lord is going to work through them. He's not telling us to put confidence in the flesh. And then verse 5, Paul prays that the Lord would direct their hearts. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Okay? Love and patience. Um, we don't have time to turn here, but Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Love and patience are two of the fruit of the Spirit. So Paul uh, is saying, I want you guys to have, I want the Thessalonians to have the fruit of uh, the Spirit. I want the Lord to direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Let me tell you something. The gifts of the Spirit, supernatural abilities, like the gift of teaching, the gift of service, the um, you know, some of us have one or two gifts and somebody else might have six or seven gifts, okay? But with the fruit of the Spirit, it's not like, hey, which fruit do you have? Well, I have love, but I have no patience whatsoever. No, we're supposed to have all the fruit of the Spirit, okay? So um, God wants us to have this love and patience as well. Now, this is in the midst uh, of their suffering, but Paul prays that the Lord directs their hearts into the love of God. You know, Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. They asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God. The Lord is one. And to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, hear me out on this. God, and with every person who loves God with everything they got and loves their neighbor as themselves will go to heaven. Okay? But we are not able to do that in our fallen state. Unless we are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, we trust in him for salvation, and then the Holy Spirit indwells us for the first time in our lives. He sets us free. He sets our hearts free 
to love God with everything we got and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so loving God with everything you got, loving your neighbor as yourself, that's just evidence that the person is saved. It's not the way the person got saved. We got saved through King Jesus, through trusting in him and trusting in him alone. Paul could say in Romans 13, 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Now, love, the problem with the word love in America today, we don't even know what it means. The Greeks had at least four different words for love. But agape love means unconditional, sacrificial love. It means you seek the greatest good for others and you don't expect anything in return. Okay? That's what, that's what sacrificial agape love is. And um, God wants our hearts filled with that. And it might be, you might be thinking, you know what? My boss is a little obnoxious. Because of this sermon today and what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, I'm going to start loving him a little. Okay? Well, we're not just talking about an obnoxious boss. There are people in America who want you and I dead. And you might be thinking, oh, Pastor Phil's being melodramatic or whatever and stuff. No, no. We get people on college campuses that are protesting, saying they back Hamas for killing innocent Jewish women and children. We've got the political dialogue has gotten to the point where some people are like, if you disagree with me, I want you dead. I want you removed. Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, in the last days, man's love will grow cold and lawlessness will increase. So in God's word tells us, you know, and Paul's telling the Thessalonians here, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. These are people that are being persecuted. Guess who they're supposed to love? Those who are persecuting them. You know, Matthew 5, 43 to 48 of the Sermon on the Mount, we're supposed to love those who persecute us and pray for them. Okay? Um, I mean, if we just take the Bible seriously, it's probably a whole lot of things we're supposed to be praying for and people we're supposed to be praying for that we're not. And, uh, but Paul prays that the Lord would direct their hearts into the love of God. Okay. Uh, Jesus said that the world will know that you're my disciples, my followers, when you have love for one another. So even just loving fellow believers shows the world that we're different. But then Jesus says, yeah, don't just love your, your brothers and sisters in Christ but even love and pray for those who persecute you. And so Paul prays that the Lord would direct their hearts into the love of God, but also into the patience of God. I mean, he started this whole letter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10, telling them, look, you're suffering, you're being persecuted, but God will punish those who persecute you. Those who don't come to Christ will be punished when the Lord returns with eternal conscious torment, okay? Twice in the book of Revelation, it talks about that. Here's the patience 
of the saints. Um, in fact, let's, let's look at Revelation 13, 10. Got just a couple passages to look at, and we'll be done. Revelation 13, 10. Talking about the Antichrist coming to power. And then starting in verse 9, Revelation 13, 9 and 10. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience, you know, that word patience, and the faith of the saints. And so Paul's saying, look, those who take Christians captive in the last days, God will take them captive. Those who kill Christians with the sword, God will kill them with the sword. And this should give us patience and enable us to continue to trust in the Lord. Okay? Revelation 14 and uh, 9 through 12 talks about anyone who accepts the mark of the beast, the 666 on the right hand of the forehead. In the last days when the Antichrist reigns, they're going to be tormented forever and ever. Um... Uh, in the eternal lake of fire. And then verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So Paul is telling suffering Thessalonians what should give them patience, okay, is the fact that God is just. You might say, well, this, this, this evil guy persecuted me and he's getting away with it. No, no. There's eternity after this life, and God is just. And uh, uh, look at uh, James 1, verses 2 to 4. James 1, verses 2 to 4. This is so tough to... Some of this taught throughout the scriptures, and it's so tough to apply. James chapter 1... Verses 2 to 4, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I don't know about you, but when things get bad, I don't say, oh, wow, man, it's another reason to rejoice, but I should. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience, which is what Paul's praying for the Thessalonians who are going through trials of persecution. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we all want to grow. We just don't want to grow with growing pains. Without growing pains, you don't grow. It's like weightlifters, you know, no pain, no gain. Some guys want to get big, but they don't want to work hard, okay? Well, guess what? You're not going to get big. No, no pain, no gain. Paul talks about this, and we'll close with this in Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we got declared righteous by God, we got saved through faith in Jesus, we have peace with God to our Lord Jesus Christ. We were at war with God, whether we knew it or not, until we trusted in Jesus for salvation. Now we have peace with God through Jesus, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory. We rejoice in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, another word for patience, persevering, enduring through trials, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint 
because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's what Paul is praying for uh, the Thessalonians, that God would direct their hearts into God's love, but also into God's patience. As suffering for Christians increases on planet Earth to where America becomes like all the other nations on Earth that persecute Christians to one degree or another, as things get tough, we need to rejoice because God is faithful. And through the trials, if we continue to trust in God, he will give us the kind of patience and perseverance we need to grow in the Lord. We all, if you're a believer, we, we all want to be like Jesus. Okay, we all want to be like Jesus. But before the exaltation comes the suffering. James says that uh, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. We need to humble ourselves before God. We need to persevere and pray that God the Father pours his love into our hearts and his patience into our hearts so we can endure the trials that are coming upon the earth. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you, Lord, for the people that you sent here today um, to hear your word preached. And I pray that we all take it to heart that, that uh, you want us to stand fast and hold on to the teachings of the apostles. You want us to be people who love you, who love your word, and who love others. May you give us love, not just for fellow believers, but even for our enemies who persecute us. Pour our love into our hearts and give us the patience and the perseverance so that we can endure the trials that are ahead. We love you, Lord. You're so good. You're so gracious. You give us. You, your son won for us a salvation we could never earn. You indwell us with the Holy Spirit and empower us to get through the trials of life. And so may we remember, never ever forget, that no matter how bad things get, you are faithful. What a blessing it is to serve a faithful God who will someday send his son to the earth to make things right on the planet earth. But even now he walks with us. And he is faithful and he is good. In Jesus' precious name we pray.